Hello, good morning, uh, welcome. I'll just be very brief because A, we're tight for time and B, those of us who are wearing high heels don't want to stand up for too long um, this morning. But uh, my job is just to say uh, thank you for coming on behalf of EI, our hosts, and particularly our hosts from Nespresso. I've never been in here before, and I think it's fantastic. What a great location, so thank you for hosting us. We're here today to mark the start of the sixth year of the Comment Awards. Uh, each year it just seems to get bigger and brighter and better, and this year I think we've got three new categories to celebrate, which is very exciting. Uh, this morning there is a booklet and... I think up on site at about nine o'clock will be the announcement of the judges for this year. Um, my name is Stevie Spring and I am the chairman for the second year. Uh, I was going to say back by popular demand, but I think it was <laughs> Hobson's <laughs> choice this year. Uh, I'm back for the second year to judge and we've got the most amazing, amazing group of uh, very eclectic judges from the world of academia and culture and sport and business, um, ranging from uh, Shami Chakrabarti to Karen Brady, uh, Digby Jones to uh, Dylan Jones, and, uh, and pretty much all points in between. Um, so those judges are going to be incredibly uh, busy over the summer, reading through some really brilliant pieces of op-ed. Um, so get your votes in. I think the votes close at the end of July. Get the nominations in now so that the judges have lots and lots of interesting things to read and pontificate on. Uh, we will be announcing the shortlist in September and then the celebration on the 25th of November. Looking at Georgia. 25th of November, our marvellous breakfast uh, to celebrate the absolute best of the best of must-read comment. Um, and this morning, as part of the launch, we've got a very exciting panel to discuss some of the issues that are facing uh, comment as we go forward through some pretty tricky economic and uh, social pressures. And to lead that debate and introduce the panel, properly backed by popular demand, I think, this time, we have EI's very own Charlie Burgess, who likes to describe himself as a recovering print journalist, but now media guru extraordinaire. So, Charlie, over to you. Thank you very much. Hi, thanks very much. Hands up who came because they thought George Clooney was going to... <laughs> anyway, welcome and thanks for coming. As it's, my, my name's Charlie Burgess. I'm a recovering journalist, blah, blah, blah. But we've got some much more important and heavyweight people up here to discuss, comment, and where it is today. A short introduction, we have Rob Yates on my right, on my far right, uh, representing the left of centre Guardian. He is the comment editor of the, of, sorry, of, of the Observer and, this, and assistant editor. But they all love each other really down there at King's Cross. Uh, a very experienced journalist, uh, has been doing it uh, almost as long as I have. Uh, on my immediate right, we have Sarah Baxter, who is a very, very experienced journalist, has been all over the world and is now the deputy editor of the Sunday Times in London. On my left, representing the newcomers, uh, is, uh, is Holly Baxter. And Holly uh, runs uh, 
a blog or a website called The Vagenda, which, uh, as its name implies, and I'm not going to say it again, uh, it basically, they call bullshit on the mainstream women's press. And um, it's been very successful, and Holly also now, on the back of that, has a book which uh, came out a month ago, which I'm sure she'll talk about too. I'm going to start by insulting everybody, saying, and I'll start with you, Rob, why the toss should we worry about what anybody says in the newspapers anymore? Or on comment pages? Well, nobody's obliged to care what we write, and I suppose if they stop caring, they'll stop reading. But we were talking earlier about this sort of, we represent the metropolitan elite, apparently. But none of our columnists started off belonging to the metropolitan elite. They asserted themselves and became that way. And if they stop being interesting or, or witty, I suppose they would have to go and be replaced by younger people. So, Sarah, sorry, Sarah, what would you um, say? Why do we read? I mean, fantastic array of uh, columnists in both your newspapers. Why should we care what they say? It's because they frame what you might be thinking. You might love them, you might hate them. They might form part of your inner argument about what's going on in the world and how you feel about it, whether it's um, what's going on at the political level with the uh, recent elections or whether it's what's going on in Iraq. You want to have an intelligent debate with yourself, with your friends. And you don't have to agree with them to be illuminated by what they say. Now, you can just read comment. You can go and find comment all over the web. You can find comment in newspapers. But you're surrounded by news stories which help to give you the information to help you analyse. And then you have people who come and crunch it for you and, and say what they think. It's all very first draft of history. It challenges, it provokes, it makes you think. And anything that makes you think is a good thing. Thank you very much. Holly, you are from the, the New Age, as it were. Um, I'm just going to share with you one headline on the, on, on the website. Gwyneth's meltdown and the man who mistook his girlfriend's face for an anus. I don't know what that was about, because obviously at this stage my wife came and I had to shut the computer down. Uh, but Holly, you, 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 you've come into this business and you basically bypassed the mainstream media. Yeah. So uh, is, is what you say important and how, how does it work? Yeah, I mean, I think um, for me, the real um, important thing about comment is uh, representation. So um, what we really found, especially because I set up the agenda when I was living in an airing cupboard. I was literally living in my friend's airing cupboard. And um, we set up the agenda because we had both graduated. Neither of us had any prospect of getting into the mainstream media. And um, we felt completely unrepresented by what was going on in comment journalism. And so we decided to set up the agenda because we were essentially commenting on comment. We were sort of taking these things about, say, Gwyneth Paltrow and how she's apparently having a breakdown every week. And um, we were then putting our own commentary up, being like, this is total bullshit. Why do we have to listen to this? Why do we have to be fed all of this crap all the time? And um, I think it's really important, because comment can be incredibly empowering, but if you're looking at the media and you just see a bunch of straight white guys every single week saying the same thing, then you are never going to be empowered in turn in your own life to sort of put your own opinions forward. And I think for us, with the agenda, it was very important to give women that because we were hearing from our friends all the time who were recent graduates who should have possibly been part of that metropolitan elite. And they were saying, you know, we feel invisible. We feel like we don't have a voice at all. And so 
for us, it was about sort of pushing more of a diverse representation in the mainstream media. But, 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 but Holly is straight, uh, straight white guy. Straight white but, guy. But, but Holly is now an outsider inside or an inside outsider. I so am, she, yeah. She's been on that journey but through her skill. And her opinions are now validated, if you like, by the old media. The old media still lends that authority. Would you not agree, Holly? Because you're on the guard. You, you have a Guardian blog now. Yeah, okay. um, yeah. So it actually led to me then becoming a sort of proper comment journalist. Because now I work for Comment is Free. Um, now you're <coughs> part of the evil establishment. Yeah, and you are. To... Well, I think the thing with the establishment is that you want to make it. You don't want to necessarily destroy it. Because I like the media. You want to make it less evil. So I think once you start getting those people inside, I mean, quite a lot of people, I think there's about eight people who have written for the Vagenda because we, we accept pitches from anybody um, who can write, have actually ended up going on into professional comment journalism on various mainstream publications. So if we didn't do that and we didn't make the mainstream media less evil, we would have kind of failed because we're trying to change things. Sarah, straight white guy and evil answer those questions from, the, from my left. What Holly's doing is exactly what every enterprising young journalist should do, and what enterprising young journalists have always done, which is start on small publications and try and make a noise, right? She's grown her publication. What's so brilliant about the um, digital world now is that you can come in and start really grabbing the attention if you're talking about things that people care about, if you have a great uh, name, which... Um, the agenda uh, is a great name. <laughs> it causes people to sit up and take notice. You know exactly where it's coming from. Uh, and, you, and that's where you cut your teeth and learn your skills. The, the problem that we face in um, the uh, traditional media, so to speak, is that um, uh, there's, you, know, you can do all that. Uh, young people are coming in and publishing all that for free. In the old days, I mean, I started on things like Time Out and The New Statesman, which in the sense were where the, where the young journalists started out in their day. <coughs> Now, um, but people still had to pay for them. Now everyone can get everything for so free that, that um, the, in the end, I think uh, the digital world that every young person <coughs> is starting in will end up following up the, um, the traditional print world. That's no bad thing. Things change. But, um, you know, they, they, they're so successful at getting their voice heard that uh, the balance of power is shifting. That's no bad thing. But, yeah. Rob and, and Charlie, we're always looking for great new voices. Who wouldn't want to discover that, 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 that new voice who captivates the readers, but it's actually really difficult. It's difficult to be a columnist and to hit that level week after week. Um, but sort of always looking and, and very, very open to submissions. It's not... It's, it's think, far from... I think there's a bidding door. war going on already over this side, Holly, for your services. <laughs> oh, but yeah. When you... But how, how does it work? Because, you, you know, you've got, you've got these reasonably large audiences that are there and you're satisfying their needs are you does your comment reflect the prejudices of your of your existing readers or are you ex trying to actually get something out there that's going to hook someone who might say actually i don't agree with that but it doesn't matter because it was well argued i mean how how much of it is 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 the view of the paper and how much of it is the view of of not the paper well, it's the view of the columnists, the view of the paper is, is then the leaders. I, I, you would hope that the readers are open enough to have their prejudices challenged. But I think you, some polemicists constrain, and they're looking for effect, and you think, well, that doesn't work anymore. They have to still have a good argument. I mean, the basics remain always the same, I think. You know, facts, argument, hopefully a good joke if appropriate. You know, the... It's, it's all well and good to say I want to frighten the readers, but with what, really? I mean, it has to be a very, very good piece. 
Sarah, you, I mean, your paper has, a, I counted it this weekend, I mean, it's in the, well over the tens of people who are actually putting their own opinion in the paper. How much influence does the paper itself have over, let's say, Dominic Lawson, your big beast on... Well, on we, we never tell uh, Dominic what to think, but we can help to frame his debate. So, and uh, he might write, want to write about something this week, but actually Camilla Cavendish might want the subject as well, and we have to weigh up who we think is going to make the more interesting argument. Um, it's not just who puts their foot down first. And it's really says, no, not, no. no. And we have a sort of, you know, so, and Dominic will come up with maybe three ideas that he's interested in. And quite honestly, if we're not interested in any of those three, we might say, yeah, but what about this yeah. going on? We'd really love you to talk about this because we really want that reflected on our centre spread and you're the best person to do it. Um, but on the other hand, we think, well, no, Camilla can write about that or Adam Bolton or indeed Rod Little. I mean, we try to have a variety of columnists who will challenge and provoke. So, you know, there might be, uh, you know, so there's Camilla Long in Starless, Katie Glass, a, a woman who would be very at ease, I think, blogging on uh, some of these feminist websites in the magazine. So we have a range of different voices, but nobody goes in without discussing first what their subject is. If they provoke comment, as Adam Bolton's did last week, so much the better, frankly. It's his opinion. We don't try to say, you can't say this or you can say that. But we do help to frame the subject matter. And we're also uh, talking as if all columnists are the same, but there are very, very different types, aren't there? So, you know, Andrew yeah. Rawnsley is inside Westminster. You might have a polemicist. You might have a humorist. But there are sometimes some, you know, some cat fights, you know. It's a game of bagsy. Somebody puts their hands up on Wednesday. Can I write on this, please, sir? And then, you, you know, you have to suggest that somebody else might be better at doing that. But... It's mostly, it's mostly a very, very happy ship. No, no, I didn't. Because, but I did know that he was sticking his neck out on it. But um, I didn't know... Could you know. explain what, what his piece okay, was? Okay, well, because he, um, he wrote a piece about foreign policy and how the government didn't have any foreign policy and said that, uh, you know, uh, William Hague and David Cameron spent four days posing for pictures with Angelina Jolie at the Rape Summit. Now, some women felt that this was devaluing the Rape Summit... Um, although you could say, nevertheless, uh, that, you know, our politicians did spend a lot of time looking like sort of starstruck um, idiots. So uh, it's a legitimate area for debate. He's uh, come uh, in for a lot of stick over it, but, um, you know, I, I he should have broad enough shoulders yeah, to take it. It reflects yeah. something that's happened in, in journalism, which is it used to be that the papers would be talking to the audience and the audience wouldn't, wouldn't be answering back. Now the game has changed that everyone has now got the opportunity to have their say and is actually challenging the, the, yeah, the, the questions. Yes, yeah. But that's now, a good thing. It is, it is a good thing. But, but Holly, you, you, when you write on The Guardian, you get some appalling um, uh, replies on the bottom of the article. How, how, how does that make you feel? Oh, yeah, de <coughs> definitely. I think, um, well, it's, um, we kind of, strangely, like I expected, quite a lot of abuse from setting up the agenda. Um, especially from men. Um, but what we ended up getting was quite a lot of support from everyone. We got some abuse. It was all from women, unfortunately, saying that we were doing feminism wrong and that feminism wasn't to be popular and things. And um, I was quite shocked when I started writing for Comment is Free and the level of abuse that I did get. Or when I was working at the New Statesman, the, um, the sort of abuse that we had to wade through that was being directed at bloggers. So, you know, quite regularly I've been told not just that people want me to die, but how they're going to kill me. Um, it usually involves rape of some kind, sexual violence, 
Or, you know, more commonly, it's um, middle-aged men self-identifying as middle-aged men saying... Um, <laughs> it's a crime, you know. <laughs> saying, uh, pipe down, little missy. That's, um, that's something that's been written on the comments so much. And for some reason, that really infuriates me more than, like, oh, I really want to, like, bash you over the head with a shovel because it's so much more silencing in a way because if you're getting somebody riled up and they're debating with you, I kind of quite like that. But if somebody's sort of, you know, cyberly patting you on the head, being like, all right, yeah, you silly woman, sort of off you go... Um, that really, really devalues what I'm going to say. So I think that's the worst part. But those those, column, those comments should be removed about rape on commentary oh, yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. They will be They are very moderated. quickly removed. And it's true that some of our it's columnists are, are reluctant to go beneath the line. I think the community is becoming a bit more mature. There's also the... I mean, the good side of it is that um, the guys can hold you to account. You do find lots of expertise. Though that expertise is still um, more visible in the old world, if you like, the, the letters that we get to the paper can often be really very, very good. Um, is that because people have to take more time and actually well, think about it? Yeah, and I, you know, the lack of anonymity, uh, I think, well, the anonymity below the line might be an issue. You know, if somebody is yeah. posing as Attila the Hun, they can say whatever they like. Sarah, I mean, your, your, your newspaper is behind a, 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 a paywall. Does that mean that the comment that you get on the bottom of your comment pieces is, is different from Yeah, we, we, we still have to sort of moderate it, but then newspapers always used to throw out the, what we call the green ink letters that we used to get. They didn't get published either. Um, well, I think what's, uh, what we found, which is really interesting, is that the people who comment on our articles tend to be the most committed readers. They're the subscribers to the full package, including the digital package. They renew. They, they're the ones least likely to sort of churn. They're on. And uh, so it's really important to engage with them and I think the best thing about you know no one likes getting abuse from trolls but you know these pathetic men are, are, are reading uh, uh, Holly's uh, articles that's a good thing so it's worth stealing yourself to that you're putting your you're stating your opinions pretty forcefully on that blog you don't mind <coughs> calling out people for sexism or whatever and uh, that's, a, that's great. And if you get robust reactions, well, you're having an effect. Um, obviously, if it's really vile, that's, it's you know, you can feel a bit corrupted, but, you know. Sorry. It's, it's right. also true that if the columnist goes beneath the line and responds, it does tend to calm things down. And people realize that they're speaking to a, you know, a flesh and blood person. That's so true. Yeah. People love, you know, people who write Sometimes. letters, you get a quick well, reply. Holly, do you, do you go below <laughs> the line, as it were? Um, <coughs> in the I did a lot when I first started in journalism. Um, I do it less now because um, I, I'm not sure how much I agree with the fact that it can dampen things down. Um, I think sometimes when people think that they're not having an effect at all, they will leave their little snarky comment and move off somewhere else on the internet where they can get more of an interesting debate like the Daily Mail. Um, but um, if they then see someone sort of you know, replying to them and challenging them, then they get more involved. If it's a valid point and they are calling you out on something, then I'm all for it. But if you're just then addressing abuse... I mean, for instance, once a guy said to me, I wrote something about state schools, and he was like, um, you know, I know that you grew up in Newcastle, and um, so I've looked through all of the records in the schools in Newcastle for your name, and I can't find it and so you're lying, you must have gone to private school. And I was like, well, this is why I use a pseudonym, thank God. 
But, uh, you know, that was... I didn't want to engage with stuff like that. I found that quite creepy. If the Daily Mail offered you a highly paid columnist job, would you take no. it? No. Oh, oh, it's so tempting, isn't ooh. it, if I were on the Mail, but I'm not so... <laughs> would, you, would you take a high paid job from the Daily Mail? <laughs> the I did, I did. Time. I used to run the... Com- I, did I mean, b- the below the line, the final point, it's actually quite difficult for us to know how many of these are our readers, as it were. Yeah. You know, are committed, they could come in from anywhere, and often do, especially if there's something political, say, about the Middle East, they just come over en masse and mm. offer their opinions. So where do we think that uh, comment is going? Is the individual, such as Holly, the future, or is it still the big beasts in the jungle who have the power and the money uh, to give us the opinions that our, their readers want? Sarah? Well, I think uh, the future of columnists and the big media, so to speak, is bound up with the future of that media in itself. I don't think people just want to hear comment, though, and I think one of the problems with the digital media is that it is, is, is something that essentially feeds off mm. the print media or the radio and television, etc., that is often commenting on comment, as Holly said, and someone's got to go out there and produce the news that people can then comment on. I don't mind what platform it's on. I love... Um, you know, I love Twitter because it leads from one piece to another to another and you can follow the trail across the internet, which is great. But the main thing is we've got to get the information and someone has to pay for that somehow and that's where the debate is. Yeah, I think information is still our primary function. I think the comment lends voice and tone to a paper. And, and I think there is the issue of validation. We still remain gatekeepers to a degree, hopefully more and more open to smart people from the outside. You come in and refresh. Holly, so you, you, you have bypassed these people. I mean, what, do you think the future is you? Of course. I mean, <laughs> that's, I mean, I do think that the future is sort of the so-called digital natives, um, people like me who have um, sort of grown up with the Internet and who are able to quickly respond to things. I think the reason, one of the reasons the agenda was so successful was because we were doing what the mainstream newspapers were doing, but we were doing it so much quicker and we were using social media, like if there was something out there about something going on in India, we could um, use Twitter to say, is there anybody in India who can write about it? And somebody would reply within seconds being like, yes, I can, and then they could get something over to us really quickly. And I think that might well be the future of comment because I see, I see it taking over already, really. I mean, I think as long as there is obviously quality control and you're not just putting up various libelous things, then, um, which we attempt not to, then that is the future. I think also, the, I mean, the best papers are still on, the best people are still on the papers, you know. I'm interested in finding out what Indian Knight thinks about something or Camilla Cavendish on Sarah's paper and, and elsewhere, really. And I still think you'll find most of the best writers and columnists gravitating to those spaces, at least for the moment. It, 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 I suppose that the point is that we don't know who your people that you're talking about are, and I mean, they may live there, but do they have the breadth or whatever which, which comes with, let's say, Adam Bolton, who, who knows politics inside out, mm. or Andrew Rawnsley, who spend their whole lives in this metropolitan bubble, but it does give them an insight into politics, which they probably can't get if well, you're outside. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we work off anonymity in a, in a way. A lot of people ask that they have their stuff put up anonymously because a lot of people are talking about, say, I'm a lesbian and nobody knows in my life, or, like, I've had three abortions and this is what it was like. And so, but at the same time, that allows us to print things in that would never be put in the media. People wouldn't want to pitch it out. And um, 
what we found with women's media, um, especially women's magazines, was that they weren't printing these things. They weren't saying that women had had four abortions and been fine, or they weren't describing what it's like to have genital warts burnt off or whatever, but this is also information that people want. So especially at this time of that. the morning. But <laughs> now, I, I, would, I would now like... I'd like to open... open we've been talking for a while now. Um, I think we should... Anybody got any questions for our panellists? If you do, put your hand up and say who... Wait for the microphone. Say who you are, and questions rather than statements. I think is the. Uh... Oh. Hi, uh, Emma Burnell. I write the Scarlet Standard blog and write for Labourlist. Um, it quite often feels like what's what's being published is two ends of an extreme spectrum. Um, where is the space, and how is the best way to be moderate? Um, whilst also being interesting. What do you mean? Which, what, how to find those two ends? Well, say in my area, which is um, politics, and particularly politics on the left, you, you get Owen Jones and Dan Hodges, um, and there's less high-profile people who are a bit more considered in the middle who are coming through and new, and there obviously there are the well-established people, but there are less sort of new voices that are coming through the sort of centre of the centre-left. Well, considered might also be dull or a bit grey. I mean, the, the truth is that people on the ends tend to have clearer views. Um, well, I mean, I, you know, I love reading Dan Hodges. He's very pugnacious and really good fun. But, um, you know, Raphael Baer's just been hired, I think, by The Guardian to join them as a columnist. He's a moderate centre-leftist, as far as I can yeah. tell. So, um, you know, there, there, there is space for the considered view. Adam Bolton, partly because of his TV... Uh, commitments tends to be pretty even-handed, but within that manages to do a good job of saying what he thinks. So it isn't all about polemicists by any means. How would you define Andrew Rawnsley on that spectrum, for instance? I'm very considered, but has been around for 20 years. It's, it's kind of, how do you start out being that? That's my question, I guess. I suppose you start off as a young reporter. I mean, Raph, who's just been signed by The Guardian, is he's, he's now touching 40, does that qualify as young? Um, but he's, yeah, he's been in newspapers. Yeah. I think, um, well, you can quite easily be moderate. I mean, the agenda isn't actually extreme, if you think about it. Like, I don't think it's extreme to say to anybody, like, you know, men and women are equal. I think, actually, most people believe that, and um, we're pushing, essentially, a moderate view, which is that sexism is bad. And um, most of the stuff we publish has to be fairly moderate, actually, because um, otherwise we would get so much abuse to our writers who aren't big names and who don't have, um, you know, sort of protective things in place. And so if you do something with humour and in an interesting way, I think there's a lot of room to be moderate. Talking of humour, my one piece of advice given to me by an old sports editor was uh, uh, when I asked how, how, what's the best way of writing a story, he said, put your joke in the intro and run like fuck for the end. There's always... <laughs> doesn't do any help. Any other questions? Uh, a couple in the middle there and one here. Hi, uh, Mark Henderson, Welcome Trust. Um, an awful lot, there, there, there's a hell of a lot of uh, extremely uh, bright, kind of uh, really exciting comment from unexpected places that's emerging, uh, as I think Holly's career shows, uh, but most of it is either unpaid or extremely badly paid. Is that a healthy thing? Holly, how healthy are you? <laughs> well, um, I'm not going to lie, I don't make a massive wage 
But um, for instance, what happened with the agenda was we set it up with no money and it's still completely demonetized and we're never going to put advertising on it because we thought that that would be a sort of ethical position we couldn't really defend. Um, so yes, at that time we weren't paid. We ended up with a book deal and stuff and that's actually how I make most of my money. And um, the mainstream media kind of took us on and that's... Being a freelancer is hard, uh, financially especially. Um, and the positions are really badly paid, but I think at the same time you can keep sort of banging on the door and getting yourself in there, and there are those places that just... There do need to be more. I think there do need to be more, but at the same time it's not impossible. I think I'm, I don't come from a background where anybody could have supported me, so, um, you know, I did do it. It is possible. Sarah, I mean, is, journalism is obviously a meritocracy and you get highly paid at the top and you don't get paid at the bottom. Is there anything yeah. wrong with that? Uh, no, not really. I don't think so. I think it's a very... And the thing about it is that anyone can break into it if they've got the persistence for it. And you can do it. It is a job where you can break in quite young. It's hard at first and you have to really put yourself out there as um, Holly has with the agenda. But then you do get noticed, you do get picked up and sometimes, you know, the the person that can feel the most discriminated sometimes is the old lag journalist rather than the hot young voice because we're always looking for people who have something new to say that will challenge yeah. readers and make us look like we're, you know, cool and, and uh, mm. on, the, you know, on the cusp of what people are talking about. But so, you're, but yeah. you're, sorry, uh, you're right that money is the big issue also. You know, at our end, we're all looking for a, a business model that works and can sustain new young writers, whether through being open like ourselves or through the paywall and... The truth is, I don't think any of us have found the answer yet, mm. but we spend lots of time trying to. Next question. Thank you. Um, Jane Cooper, UNICEF. Um, Sarah, I was really interested in your comment that somebody still needs to gather the news. Um, and I wonder if you think there's a risk that big media might move away from that um, in a world of sort of increasing social media and citizen journalism. Uh, well, we're still very committed to uh, investigative news gathering and to being there. So we have a very brave reporter right now, Hala Jabba, out in Baghdad. And, uh, you know, she didn't, she's already covered the Iraq war once and been in so many dangerous situations. She's been covering Syria and now she's in Baghdad. And I take my hat off to her, uh, a brilliant journalist who puts herself on the line every day. But she does expect to get paid for it and it does cost money to put her in Baghdad. Uh, at the same time, we've also just done the FIFA investigation, which was painstaking work, which has taken months, if not longer, in fact, of uh, detailed work by two brilliant insight journalists who have been, you know, tucked away in a sort of, you know, not even in the office, poring over literally hundreds of millions of documents uh, so that we could, you know, bring you the truth about the corruption scandal at the heart of FIFA and um, how Qatar has basically ended up buying the World Cup. So uh, uh, that all takes um, money, it takes highly skilled journalists, it takes guts, bravery and commitment. And uh, I think that's something worth paying for myself. And also, news sells. If you have a very, very good story, sales go like that. We did an investigation into abuse at Yarlswood and the sales went through the roof. So it pays to yes. invest. It pay, and it pays to invest in people like Holly. <laughs> now we've got time for one more question uh, and then we're, we're going to we'll have to go to work, unfortunately. Um, we've got a man over here. Thanks. Ian Anderson Cicero. Just thinking about J.K. Rowling's um, blog last week, 
How effective is the current publishing revolution in um, creating voices beyond London and the bubble that we've talked about earlier? Holly. I think it's, it's really, really tough because what I found coming from the northeast was that I had to come to London um, to make anything of myself. And um, that's actually how I ended up living in the aforementioned airing cupboard because I couldn't afford the rent in London. So I was living in a cupboard for six weeks while I got a job and tried to make enough money to put a deposit down. Um, <clears throat> it makes me really, really angry, actually, that everything is so London-centric as somebody from the north and things, and I think that there isn't enough money going into it, and I'm not exactly sure how to turn it around because, um, as a lot of people said when I wrote about that on the New Statesman, I'm a betrayer who moved to the big city to do it myself, but all I can say is that I do, I agree that there is a, it's way too London-centric, but I'm not sure at the moment with the very little power that I have exactly how I can turn it around, except that I think things like the Northern Correspondent, which is um, supposed to be a, a new newspaper sort of set up just for the North, are really interesting projects. And I think if I had any power in the media, I would end up trying to set up something similar. Why does everybody blame London? <laughs> Everything that goes wrong... Yeah. Everything happens in London... Well, the lack of jobs kind of stops you. It takes longer. The problem is that you're, the people who complain about because they come from those outlying areas, that they can't get anywhere, they have to come to London, they're their own victim. Because if you really want to do it, you can set up a hub in Newcastle or Sunderland, just do it. It will happen. It's a bit more complicated. <laughs> it's true. I swear my parents yeah. are hiding so much jewels in their back garden. Yeah, you, as always, a, a timely intervention from uh, one of the world's top. No, and the, and the truth is, we all, we all want to come to London. And, you know, we, for better or worse, we're the most centralised nation in, in the Western world. I mean, 60% of our readers, both of our papers, are within yes. the M25. It's true. It's true. And one, th one thing that must be remembered is that there are some great local newspapers that serve these towns, but they are also facing their own challenges uh, in the digital age. But they, they've been traditionally done a great job. Well, I think on the bombshell from Harvey Goldsmith, uh, <laughs> who, as always, puts his uh, something on the f his foot in it. No, he puts his finger on it. Uh, uh, thank you very much indeed for coming. I hope this is useful to you. I think we are, the comment is in good hands if these three people here are, are representative of it. And I'd like to thank them for coming and thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you.